0: You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Welcome City Church. Uh, Welcome friends who are here. Welcome our friends online. My name is Bill White. I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church. My pronouns are he, him. And we are super glad to have you uh, in this Advent season where we're We're waiting, we're longing, we're looking to meet with God, to know God, and for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Our vision is to be a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things, and seeing this whole world remade uh, the way that it's actually supposed to be. Uh, It's a crazy vision. Uh, but it's the one that Jesus himself articulates and that we get to participate in. So it's such a, such a gift um, to, to be here. Um, I'm going to pray for our kiddos before we send them out. So uh, if there's a kid near you and uh, you're the appropriate person, feel free to lay a hand on them. Um, but uh, let's pray for our kids. God, thanks so much for uh, the kids and their place in your family. Thanks for the kids here at Lafayette, and pray for strength for the staff and the teachers as they finish out there last week here. Pray that kids uh, around this world uh, would know more safety and more peace, and you would show us our role in bringing that peace. Thank you uh, that, Jesus, you came as a kid, and you remind us that the kid in each of us is to be loved and protected. We pray in your name, amen. So I'd like to invite the kiddos. If you guys would like to go and hang out with your fearless staff, that would be amazing. And then I think we have some special guests who are gonna be joining us.
2: In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph, and the virgin's name, Mary. Good morning, Mary, daughter of Heli. You truly are beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful both inside and out. God is with you. Please believe me when I tell you that you have nothing to fear, Mary. God actually has a wondrous surprise for you. You are to become pregnant and give birth to a son. And his name is to be Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the highest the Lord God will give him the throne of his forefather, King David, and he will rule over Jacob's house forever. There will never be an end to his kingdom, ever.
3: But how? I've never slept with the man.
2: What you say is true, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called Holy, Son of God. And on a related matter, did you know that your cousin Elizabeth has conceived of a son, old as she is? Everyone said that she was barren, and here she is, six months pregnant. Nothing you see, Mary, is impossible with God.
3: Yes, I see you all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say.
2: Then the angel left her. Mary didn't waste a minute she got up and traveled to a town in Judah in the hill country, straight to Zechariah's house.
3: Elizabeth, Elizabeth!
2: When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb left. She was filled with the Holy Spirit.
3: You are blessed among women, and the babe in your womb was blessed also. people of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, wasn't that amazing? Team, you're incredible. Thank you. Thank you for gifting us with that. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brenna Rubio. I'm the other co-pastor here at City Church. My pronouns are she, her, and it is so good to be together with you all there is so much fun extra energy today part of that being because it's christmas right so we're leaning into this this hope in fact the series we're doing is called those who dream right that we are dreaming we are hoping we are leaning in because that's what christmas reminds us of i'm also going to say we have some extra fun energy today because I have the honor and the privilege of preaching with our friend, Ed Oxford, today, and yes, I know we have quite a few people in the house who an extra special reason you are here today is because you were here to support Ed. Maybe because you're part of the Rainbow Club. Thank you, Shelly, for all the beads. Or you're just one of Ed's friends and you wanted to support. Would you just stick your hand up real quick and give a little woohoo if you're here to support Ed? I mean, we all are. We all are, but Ed, would you come on up? Um, and we're going to have another little set change here this morning. Move some stands. So as we get up set up with our little set change part of this is because for those of you who know Ed at all one of the things he is defined by is hospitality people here who have experienced that yes um, Ed just has an amazing home that he loves to share with people it is full of amazing books which he is going to tell us more about and in a lot of ways Ed is inviting us into his living room today um, that we just get to sit and have a cozy conversation with our friend Ed Oxford What does it mean to him to be one of those who dream? How do we resonate with this story of Mary and Elizabeth? How do we get to understand it better? Um, Ed, you pick if you want to hold the mic or you want to just have it in front of you either way. I'm probably going to hold mine. Um, But we get to get cozy now, friend. Hi! Yes. Especially because Ed hooked me up with a cool free mom hug shirt that I wore. Especially, and some of you have taken me up on that already. Others of you feel free to see me afterwards. I mean it. I'm wearing the shirt with intention. So, uh, hi, Ed. Hi. <laughs> um, tell us a little. I mean, lots of people here know you already, but there are a few of you who have sort of heard rumors. Perhaps you know they, they know there is this person, Ed, but they have not had a chance to meet you yet. Um, could you just tell us a little bit of your your story?
0: Sure. Um, so. Growing up LGBT and Christian was actually not a very good combination. Yeah. And so it made for a very depressing life for many, many years. And um, so long story short, one day I went to a seminar by Kathy Baldock and found out that the word homosexual is not in the Bible until 1946. Wow. So being the inquisitive person that I am, I had to find out why, who put it there, what were they thinking, um, how did it get there, and what went on in that conversation to make that decision. And so I've brought with me today, this is a 1946 Revised Standard Version of the Bible. So this is the first book in history, the first Bible in history to ever contain the word homosexual right here. This changed our lives a lot for a lot of us. And so um, long story short, it was as I was digging in to kind of find out how did this happen, I came across some archives that were housed at Yale University. And Kathy Baldock and I went there in, in the uh, fall of 2017 and made an amazing discovery where they kind of basically admitted to saying, oops, we kind of made a mistake here. We need to fix this. And in so doing, they had, 20 days prior to that, signed a contract with the publisher saying, we won't make any changes. Um, and during the next 10 years, as they had promised not to make any changes, the most influential Bibles in the English language were being translated. That's the New International Version. The New American Standard Version and the Living Bible. And so during those translation period of time, during that translation period of time in the 1960s, they grabbed this Bible because they had the New Testament that came out in 1946. They finished the Old Testament in 1952. So this was the Bible they were using to make the decision to put homosexual in those other three versions that were being translated in the 60s that came out in the 70s and they started putting it in other verses. It didn't belong anywhere in the Bible, and even non-affirming theologians say, yes, the word homosexual does not belong in the Bible. So that being the case, we have a lot of damage that's been done. So since the 1970s, we've seen the largest amount of teen and young adult suicide in the history of the world, all because of this honest mistake. And I can vouch for it was an honest mistake. I got to know these people really well. And so, Joe, I have one uh, slide I want to put up here. This is Dr. Weigel. So Dr. Weigel, at the very top, he was the person in charge of this translation team. And so uh, he was born in 1880, died in 1976. He was with it in his mind all the way up until his 96th birthday. And uh, he was very involved even in his 90s on a revision that they were working on. And you can see on the left there, he's in the library studying all the books that they were using. And so, and on the right side, that's part of the translation team. There were 22 men responsible for making that decision. And we can go into levels deeper to kind of find out, well, who made that decision? How did they make that decision? And what was going on there? But I'm telling you, these people were godly people. And I didn't know that before we went through the archives. Uh, Dr. Weigel was, he would write these amazing letters to people, There's these letters that we found, this one letter I found. He said, he was writing to a church and he said, you don't have any black people on your committee and you're not representing your community. You need to do this. You guys, this was in the thirties. He was way ahead of his time. And another letter he wrote, he says, you don't have any women on your committee. You need women to represent what's going on here. And this one letter, I found it the most amazing. This lady wrote him a letter and she said, Dr. Weigel, I'm just a housewife, what do I know? But you're the Dean of the Yale Divinity School and you have power and you have poll, could you please write to Congress and tell them we have a problem in our community? And she explained that they had a poll tax. A poll tax was when they had to pay, and she explained it was a dollar, you had to pay a dollar to get a registration card to vote. And she said, this isn't right because poor families, if they have a dollar in the 1930s, they're gonna feed their family. They're not gonna go pay to vote. And he wrote back to her and he said, yes ma'am, you are absolutely right. That is an injustice, I will write Congress. And to this day, poll taxes are illegal. They find other ways to suppress the vote, but poll taxes are illegal.
3: That way at least, yeah. Ed, I mean, as I listen to your story, as I look at those pictures, I mean, there are a couple of thoughts that come up for me. Like one is just the, you know, that sometimes you hear from people that are sort of like, this sort of simple, like, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, and you're like, okay, but actually, like, those pictures really emphasized for me, like, understanding and translating the Bible is serious work. It's not obvious, right? Like, and and mistakes can happen. And I mean, even what we have, like, it's all going to be imperfect. This is all an imperfect human effort. And then the other thing that strikes me, especially kind of with even just what we're doing here today, but in your stories about how he would tell people, put put diversity on your committees, basically, is that it is okay to come to the text with perspective. Actually, what we have to acknowledge is we all have them, so let's make sure they're diverse perspectives. It's actually not a bad thing to bring your own story and your own life experience to the text, as long as you're not dominating everybody else with your life experience. and and in so many ways, like that's what we're gonna do today, right, as we look at the story of Mary and Elizabeth and say, hey, Ed, you come with a particular life experience. You also have a lot of training. Like you actually, you have a master's of divinity, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Ed, Ed is like a, he's like a full out legit, you know, Bill always jokes about levitating <laughs> um, when you have one of those fancy degrees, but like, like Ed's got that. And you also have this unique life experience that we are so privileged to get to hear from this morning because without it, like we're missing. A voice.
0: You know, I think that's interesting that you bring that up because part of my experience in the past, not just do I have the, the seminary degree studying Greek and Hebrew at an academic level to be able to, to help with this conversation, but I lived in Japan for four years as a missionary with Crew, Campus yeah. Crusade for Christ. And one of the things we had to do was to learn the language and to memorize certain things in the language and to give talks in the language. And so studying Japanese, I realized, oh my goodness, you know, you can make mistakes in languages. I, one time I was at a prayer meeting at a church in Japan. And I wanted to say, they paired me up and I was with this girl who didn't speak any English and so I had to use my Japanese and I was still learning, I was green. And so (laughs) I wanted to say, okay, let's pray now, which is, ja, oinurishimashou. And instead I said, ja, iyonarishimashou, which is, let's do a good fart together. (laughs) So I learned that you can make mistakes, translation can have mistakes in it. And because if we look at the Bible, the Bible is a joint venture between a perfect and holy, divine God and imperfect humans who can make mistakes. And so one of the questions I had because of my experience in Japan was, well, how did all the other translations, how did all the other languages in Europe, when they were going through the Great Reformation 500 years ago, how did they translate these clobber passages, these gay verses? And the interesting thing is four out of the six clobber passages in the vast majority of European Bibles for the vast majority of Bible history translated four out of the six clobber passages, not as homosexuals are the bad guys, but as those who abuse boys, boy molesters are the bad guys. So pederasty was what most of the translations were referring to in that. So we have to look at 2000 years of history to see how the, it changed and how it got adjusted, and see this modern twist on this homophobic, anti-gay mentality that didn't always exist. It is a modern twist. So I kind of find it weird when theologians today claim that I'm trying to twist the Bible when I'll just turn to them and say, how old is your Bible, because mine's 450 years old. (laughs) So which Bible are you talking about here?
3: Yeah, completely we was we were talking about it you had like an interesting story about well our story this morning itself about the word virgin in our text and some of the translation issues around that will you share that story oh, sure God, absolutely
0: so um one of the things that was interesting so if if we could pull up the first of the slides on the on With the, the, the scripture? Um, scripture yeah so we've got Luke 26 126 to 28 so do you see right there in the six month Elizabeth's pregnancy and by the way i want to say thank you to those who did the scripture this morning you know, oh I'm okay. telling you, when they get the gays involved in Scripture reading, it's more fabulous, isn't it? So, so right here, um, in the six-month Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man, and it went on, and the virgin's name, Mary. So, the interesting thing was, when we were digging into the archives at Yale University, going over the Revised Standard Version to kind of find out this whole quest of how did the word homosexual get in the Bible, we found a lot of interesting things. And one of the things that we found was there was controversy, huge controversy, when they came out with this 1946, 1952. The controversy started after 52, because people started giving it more credence when the Old Testament was completed, and there were people that were angry. They were mad. How dare you change our King James English? How dare you modernize it, you know? And people were so mad that they would burn their Bibles and put the ashes in a box and send it to the team, send it wow. to Dr. Weigel. So, and I actually, one of my friends is Dr. Weigel's great grandsons. And he told me, yeah, the family talks about these stories of getting ashes in the mail every now and then. So one of the things that they were upset about, one of the things that they were angry about in this translation was this word virgin. So if you look at the Old Testament in Isaiah 7:14. The word Alma means unmarried young woman, and this is the big verse we use in our this time of year at the Christmas season. We use Isaiah 714, we talk, and the virgin will be with child, and she will uh, have this child and his name will be Jesus, or his name will be the Messiah. So we have this whole introduction to Jesus and these prophecies. And so what happened was Dr. Weigel said, we want to be true to the original text, which is the Hebrew. And the Hebrew says Alma, and Alma means young married woman. So when they put it together here and he said young married woman, they were all up in arms. How dare you take away from the virgin birth? Well, the thing is, these two words up here are Parthenon um, for virgin, Parthenon and Parthenos. That means virgin in the Greek language. So in the New Testament, they did say the Virgin Mary and the Virgin Mary here. But this one verse that he wanted to be true to the text and he stayed true to the text, got people up in arms, up in arms so much to the point that they were considering caving to the culture and making a change to make people satisfied with that, which I thought that's really strange how a translation can cave to the culture. But looking at all the translation notes that I have, I can guarantee you that there is some caving to the culture that does take place. Mm. So I just found it interesting how when we look at that, What can we learn from that? Well, if we say, yes, when we talk about Mary, we say the Virgin Mary, the Virgin Mary, sometimes it's almost like her title, the Virgin Mary. And so we focus so much on that in the Christmas season that sometimes we forget Alma, the young, unmarried woman with a child. And let me ask you, what do you think we can learn by focusing on that instead of just Virgin Mary versus Virgin Mary?
3: Well, for me at least, and I, I mean other people may have other answers, we'll ask you later. Um, but for me, like when I hear virgin, it, it just takes me to patriarchy. It takes me more to kind of like her, her status within the system, it focuses on her sexual purity. So it sort of like refers me back a little bit to the men involved, you know, kind of surrounding her culturally. When I hear young unmarried, it feels more human. I, I feel more like the tenderness towards just her as a human in a um, a vulnerable situation. I mean, I think for a lot of people, pregnancy brings up vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're in, in the situation where all of a sudden you have to care for someone new, and, and in this case, she's being exposed to potentially to all sorts of misunderstanding and stigma. Um, so I just feel more tender towards Mary.
0: Can you imagine in that day and time being a young, unmarried woman, and you're like, oops, I'm pregnant. Hey, I haven't even been with the man. How am I going to explain this to mom and dad, right? How does that go down? And then not much, much less the youth group at church, what are they going to think, right?
3: Yeah. And by the way, and we can, I mean, can't you all? I'm thinking of real-life conversations right now. I'm not going to say them, right? But like real-life conversations with people.
0: And just all the stigma that would be involved with that. And, you know, her whole life changed before her eyes. What am I, I going to do? Where am I going to go? How am I going to survive? What's going to be so different for me for the rest of my life because of this change?
3: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So as we started talking about the passage, I just enjoyed because so much comes up just from reading this passage. And um, I know sometimes people are sort of trained to read scripture with this sort of like, you know, find the one true meaning. Or I think a lot of times it, it is just as valid to go, what does this bring up for me? You know, what What emotions, I sometimes tell people when we're doing a Bible study, you know, or just kind of talking through a passage, is like, you know, what's your, wow, what's your, ooh? we have the oohs, um, what's your confusion, like what's your, huh, you know? So for you, as you started reading this passage, as we started talking about it together, what were some of those big things? I mean, that tenderness towards Mary and her situation, what else? Just tell us more.
0: As far as the stigmas?
3: Yeah, like that was a big thing for you, right? Of just thinking about Mary as, as were there stories for you that brought up thinking about stigma?
0: Yeah, there were definitely. Um, I think one of the things, you know, and I, I like how Dr. Weigel and his team stuck with that whole word Alma Mm -hmm. because they were, because we can focus on another portion of looking at Mary, um, that we would not otherwise do. And it, I like being true to the text. I think that, you know, he stood his ground on it, and I think that's important. Um, but I think one of the interesting things, when I think about that in this passage, if we could bring up the portion on the slide here, Joe, um, I believe it's the second, or no, the, the fourth one, or the fifth one that shows where they, uh, the first thing that Mary does, and you noticed in the skit, as soon as she finds out she's pregnant, is she starts to run to Elizabeth, right? And so I think it's the next one. Mary didn't waste a minute. She got up and traveled to a town in Judah in the hill country straight to Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. That's interesting. Think about that for a minute. Okay, so here she goes. She is in this position where she's potentially compromised in society, how is she gonna be treated and stigmatized possibly for the rest of her life? And here she's going to this other person who's also stigmatized because Elizabeth has been barren her entire life. And in that culture, you must have done something wrong to make God angry, to make you barren, because your only job in life as a woman is to have kids. And if you can't even do that, oh my goodness, what's wrong with you? And so this whole stigma that Elizabeth had her entire life of married life, and then here, her cousin Mary, Mary was a teenager, Elizabeth was older, and so when they come together, it's like they're they in the same boat. They're both stigmatized they're, and they're both in the same boat And the way society looks at them, and they relied upon each other. I think that's beautiful because the fact that they saw that they were in this position and they went to each other to be around each other. When I think of LGBT people, LGBTQIA, and I think of the stigmas associated with that, We spend a lot of time talking about the LGBTQ, not as much about the I and the A. Let's talk about the I for a little while.
3: Yes, absolutely.
0: So the I stands for intersex, and intersex, an old word that is not acceptable these days, but hermaphrodite is what some people use. There are 15, more than 15, 15 different kinds of intersex people. Intersex people have maybe uh, certain genitalia that might not be recognizable as exactly fully male or fully female. Sometimes they have both genitalia. Sometimes um, the, the chromosomes might be a little confusing and so it's hard to tell. But at the end of the day, there are about over 15 types of intersex people. Well, about a thousand years ago, people would just take their intersex kids out to the forest and leave them to die. Um, because they didn't know what to do they thought it was maybe something satan started and they didn't want to have that as part of their house and the the embarrassment in society and fast forward to about a hundred years ago we still didn't do much better you guys because for the most part surgeons would go to the parents and say well you kind of have a boy or you kind of have a girl um just you know choose one roll a dice or something and we'll get some surgery done here and we'll make them a complete boy or a complete girl and for the past hundred years Surgeons have been playing God. Mm -hmm. And so it's been pretty messed up because if you talk to intersex kids and you interview them and talk about growing up, they say, every time I went to the doctor, they would just take my clothes off and 15 doctors and nurses would come in and they would prod me and point out and I felt like a little science project. And it was incredibly humiliating. And they couldn't talk to anybody about this commonality that they had and they didn't know what was normal and what wasn't. They were just in this very humiliating position. And then about 25 years ago when the internet made it possible, these intersex people started discovering each other and they came together like Mary and Elizabeth and they had each other to be there with and they had each other to share this shared experience and to talk about it and they learned from each other. And one of the most well-adjusted intersex people I've ever seen was born to a doctor. And this doctor said, I'm not gonna do any surgeries. And then the surgeons in the hospital said, but you have to, are you gonna call this a boy or a girl? Are you gonna say he or she? And the dad said, I don't know, we'll figure that out. We're just gonna play this day by day and we're just gonna love our kid. And they loved that child and that child grew up. And sometimes they said they wanted to be called he and sometimes they wanted to be called she. And sometimes they felt like a guy and they would dress like that and they felt like a girl and they would dress like that. But the most well-adjusted intersex person I've ever seen was when people, man, doctors, didn't get involved, except the dad, but he was involved as a dad.
3: Yeah, he was involved with love,
0: Yeah, love, care, support. Exactly, and that care and support that she he had as a, a dad and that care and support that they had when they started to find each other and these intersex people came together. And There's some really interesting documentaries out there where they just were there for each other and they started realizing and, you know, things are different when they could compare stories and really commiserate with each other in certain ways and support each other in ways.
3: Yeah, I mean, even as you say that, as I wear my free mom hugs shirt, I mean, it makes me think there is the support that we need in knowing we're not alone and we find our community, right? And that's why we are so thrilled, you know, about the Rainbow Club that we have here at City Church and and all these other ways that people are finding community. And Ed, I know you you help create community really all over, I think, Southern California um, for so many LGBTQIA folks who otherwise have not figured out where to find it, right? To say, I love Jesus and I'm queer and I'm lonely sometimes, right? And so there's these ways that we need support within our community. But then as a parent, I I do also think like, I'm like, I resonate with Elizabeth in some ways too, right, as that sort of like, how do those of us um, who maybe are not queer ourselves or, I mean, there are all sorts of ways we can be stigmatized and pushed to the margins, experience. So those of us who might in certain ways feel more towards the cultural center, how do we, how do we extend our hands? How do we embrace? Because it actually occurred to me, like even as you were talking right now, like Elizabeth had kind of a get out of jail free card, right? I mean, she could have just kind of like said, hey, I'm finally, I've like, I've got my shot. I get to be a normie now, right? Like, I get to, I get to move towards the center. I'm finally pregnant. People will, will decide I'm OK. They'll let me back in. I'll get to sit with the cool kids, right? She could have just slammed the door in Mary's face and said, like, you're going to jeopardize my newly found status. And I just got it, right? I mean, I just oh. got it. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to that picture in a minute. It's a fun one. <laughs> Um, but we're getting there. (laughs) But Elizabeth didn't, right? Like Elizabeth embraced Mary. And I think like, isn't that the call for all of us to say like, no, let's, let's take what we've learned on the margins. Or if you're not there now, come walk out to the margins and let's be there. Like, let's. Let's reach out. Let's join hands. Um, There's an Old Testament scholar that we we quote here pretty often. I love her. She's awesome. Will Gaffney. She's a womanist Midrash scholar. And so thinking about the people of Israel as they were journeying through the wilderness, um, even then, there were people who were pushed to the fringes, people with skin diseases and other things. And so they would be sent out outside of the camp margins And there they would create their own community. And there sometimes even the leaders like Miriam would be sent for a season. And it's this picture of the camp outside the camp, Mm -hmm. the community that forms on the fringes, which is where Jesus is found Mm -hmm. so often, right? Like Mm -hmm. that he, he goes to the fringes all the time and says, this is my home. Mm -hmm. This is where I am. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just, that just really struck me of just like, I want to be an Elizabeth, Mm -hmm. right? I want to, and I do think, I mean, I'm not all that normal myself. I'm a little fringy, Um, but I want to stay here, right? I want to embrace and I want to hold my kids and everybody else's kids and and be here. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on, you know, just Elizabeth and what it means? Like, what do you experience, what does good allyship look like for you? Well,
0: I think good allyship, means being a good listener and a good learner. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's important. Um, And I think that that's something that we can do is kind of see what's the big picture of all this. So if we look at Elizabeth and Mary, when we look at the little picture, here they are experiencing this, oh, no, we could be stoned. I mean, Mary could be stoned for what was going on there. People aren't going to listen. Yeah, right, the Holy Spirit, you know. And so. They were probably nervous and scared, and what do we do and where do we go from here? But when we look at the big picture, Mary and Elizabeth gave birth to two of the most influential persons throughout history. So Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist, and of course we know Mary gave birth to Jesus, and wow, what an introduction there when it could have been a different kind of introduction that God chose to use, but this is the way He chose to use that. Sometimes in ways that we don't always expect, mm-hmm. through people who are in the fringes, mm-hmm. they were introducing Jesus, the Son of God, mm-hmm. and that is just amazing. And so, sometimes when I, I try to take a step back from this whole LGBT advocacy work that I do and look at a, the bigger picture of things and in discussions with theologians, seminary professors, pastors, and the interesting thing is i've been wondering if god has this big plan with lgbt people in the first place that could it be god is trying to teach the church how to love Mm -hmm. and so far i don't think we're doing a very good job in that but could it be that god has a bigger plan to maybe do something else with the church and so when i look at that and i think of it i think of my friend andy Okay, and so let me introduce to you my friend, Andy. We're ready now. Okay, Andy's the one on the left. Brenna, my eyes are right here. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so this is Andy on the left. He's a very, very good friend of mine. And um, he rented a room for me when he came over from Germany as an exchange student. So he's here for almost a year. Um, and just became an amazing friend, and because he speaks German fluently and Russian fluently, he was really instrumental in some of the translation work that I needed done in some of the Clobber passages, and it started, he helped me to put together some things that ended up being uh, an article that went viral with 3 or 4 million views. And so, he's been a huge part of my life, Andy is straight, he's a straight, cisgender, white guy, millennial, okay?
3: and he's a professional dancer right that's the picture
0: he got his master's degree a couple years after that so he didn't need to make money um but yes he's done some of that so so andy so andy um i just had some great discussions with him but the interesting thing was he was not raised in a church like a typical millennial these days so we have a whole generation of millennials that were not really raised in a church like Generation X and beyond. So as a result, he just didn't have that exposure. He didn't have that understanding. But what he did understand and he did see was how churches treat LGBT people. Even as a straight person, he could see that and he could understand that. And so the interesting thing was, as he got to know me and my story and I got to know him, he went back to Germany after his time here. And he started right texting, we would keep in constant contact, and he started going to a church over there. And he said, if the Jesus that really exists is the Jesus that you follow, I want to get to know him. And I started thinking, oh my goodness, maybe that's what God has in mind here, is LGBT people who still love Jesus. Wow, what a testimony that is, right? And if that's going to speak to people who are straight and never have been in a church, because if you interview people who are leaving churches today, the number one reason people are leaving churches today is because they say, you don't treat my gay friend very nicely, so why would I want to go to your church? And so it's even straight people are saying, I don't want to go to a church where they're going to have that kind of an attitude towards straight people, much less would gay people feel comfortable in a church like that. And so. I'm thinking we have a whole generation, like Andy, millennials who were not raised in a church, and here they're being exposed to the church. So the interesting thing was, he would write me when he's going to a sermon, he's hearing something from the pastor, he's reading something in Scripture, and his fresh approach was amazing. And he would say, look at what this verse says, isn't this great? And I thought, those of us who were raised in the church, we're kind of carrying our baggage in there. I've always heard this verse. This is what the pastor says it means. Okay, move on next. And we're not really seeing something that's been there all along. So maybe God is going to use LGBT people in this sense to reboot the church, to give us a fresh start.
3: I think everybody needs to say a big amen. Amen. And I just want to say, as one of the pastors of this church, that has absolutely been our experience you know it's it's been something like seven or eight years now you know since and some of you may or may not know this history but since we went through a process of figuring out because we were kind of birthed out of a more traditional evangelical type context so it was a process seven or eight years ago an 18 month long maybe even stretched to two years kind of process of Can we read the scripture? Can we listen to the stories of our LGBTQ friends? Can we listen to each other without just reflexively getting angry if people read it differently than us? And going through that process to a point of saying, we see, we want to be, we want to welcome everyone the way that God does, the way that Jesus does. And, And becoming an affirming church has absolutely changed us in the best possible way. And I cannot imagine City Church of Long Beach without all the amazing queer folks who are sitting in this room, who are watching online, who are just, man, we would not be, um, we would be such a pale imitation of who we are today without you. So thank you, yeah, just genuinely. so, so grateful. And Ed, I'm so grateful to you for coming up and being willing to share not only from your story, the stories of so many, I know that you spend so much time just listening to the stories of other people who have not had a space, a safe space, where they can share those stories and, and you provide that for them and welcoming atmospheres like this. And then also just sharing out of your your expertise because you have actually put in the work and you know your stuff and it is such a gift. Um, I do want to make sure everybody knows, because I just saw it this morning. For those of you who have not yet had a chance to see 1946, the movie, um, it is available online Mm -hmm. in just the next couple days, right?
0: It'll be available for about three-week period through streaming. So just uh, go to 1946themovie.com and you can kind of see if, And they wanted to make it available over the holidays because this is a time when a lot of people, a lot of kids come out, they're back from college, they want to come out to their family. And so several of them have indicated to some of us that they want to use the film as an instrument to, to begin that conversation with their family members. So if you haven't seen it, you want to see it, uh, now's your chance.
3: Yeah, because I know I've heard from some of you. You've missed some of the screenings that Ed had at his home, um, up in Hollywood these past couple weeks. Uh, and so this is your chance. It will be online. I want to make sure everybody, everybody
0: Three weeks that. only. So come and get it during that okay. time period.
3: Um, this has been such a gift. I want to give everyone just a, a short chance to reflect um, for a couple of minutes. And so we're going to put um, an image um, up on the screen for you to look at. And this is... Um, a bit from the artist who created this image, meditating herself on this story of Mary and Elizabeth. She says, and so in a haze, she, Mary, runs away, seeking refuge in the hill country, retreating to family who would keep her safe and help her make sense of her world turned upside down. As soon as she falls into Elizabeth's arms, Elizabeth knows and feels it to be true. Yes, I feel it too. We." are pregnant with promise. We carry this together. This is not a dream deferred. It is a dream confirmed, a dream shared, a dream that will birth joy. So I just want to invite you just for a minute or two. It's gonna be kind of quiet. Um, You'll hear the sound of your breathing, your neighbors breathing, that's okay. How do you resonate with Mary or with Elizabeth this morning. Maybe it's one versus the other, maybe it's both. Who have you been carrying with, whatever that heavy thing is in their life or in yours? Who are your partners on the journey? Or maybe what joy are you pregnant with? It's not fully realized yet, but it's it's stirring within you. We're gonna give you just a couple minutes to look at the image. Breathe a little, Connect with God. What's, what's God doing inside you right now?